Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you, gathered together. Welcome to college students. Welcome back. Um, welcome to visitors who are with us today. It's, uh, I'm excited to be here with you all as God's people gathered together to encourage one another in the Lord. Um, before we, uh, we begin into our sermon today, would you pray with me? Father, Father, because of your spirit in us, we have a great desire. We have a great desire to see the name of Jesus Christ magnified among us. We want to see the life of Christ worked out in us to become more like him, to set aside sin and to walk in holiness and to take part in that work together in one another, to encourage one another in the faith. We want to take part in seeing Christ magnified in the world. But Lord, we are just so insufficient for this. But we thank you that you have made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant through your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, we ask and seek and knock for his work today among us. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, um, we're going to be doing a part two of Biblical Foundations for Evangelism. So earlier in July, we did part one. We talked about what is the gospel, as well as what, uh, what should we expect when we go out and we witness to people. So what is the gospel? What should we expect? Today, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. I'll read it in a minute. Uh, and, but we're going to be talking about what is our role in evangelism. We're going to ask, what is our role and what is God's role in evangelism? We're going to see that, um, that our role in evangelism is to be servants of God, to be servants of God. But uh, before we get there, I want to ask kids, how many of you have read Frog and Toad before? Anybody? Show of hands. Who's read Frog and Toad? Adults, have you read Frog and Toad? All right. So, you have a little bit here. Uh, in, uh, in the book Frog and Toad Together, there's a little story called The Garden, and I'd like to just read a little bit of that and summarize some of that for us before we get started. So The Garden starts like this. It said, Frog was in his garden. Toad came walking by. What a fine garden you have, Frog, he said. Yes, said Frog. It is very nice, but it was hard work. I wish I had a garden, said Toad. Well, here are some flower seeds. Plant them in the ground, said Frog, and soon you will have a garden. How soon? asked Toad. Very soon, said Frog. So Toad goes home. He takes the seeds and he plants them in the ground. And he looks and waits for them to grow. And he says, now seeds, start growing. <laughs> Nothing happens. And so he begins to shout louder and louder. Now seeds, start growing. And eventually he gets so loud that Frog hears and he comes over and he talks to him. And he says, Toad, you're shouting so loud, you're scaring the seeds. They're afraid to grow. And so he says, uh, leave them alone for a few days. Let the sun shine on them. Let the rain fall on them. Soon your seeds will start to grow. Well, Toad gets it in his head that because his seeds are afraid to grow, that he needs to help them not be afraid. So over the next several days, he goes out at night, lights candles, and reads a bedtime story to them. He comes back and sings them songs. He reads from them to them from a book of poetry, and he plays music for them. Well, over the course of this, this time, he becomes so tired trying to make them be unafraid and grow 
that he falls asleep next to his garden. Well, Frog wakes him up and he says, look, Toad, wake up. Look at your garden. And Toad looked at his garden. The little green plants were coming up out of the ground. At last, shouted Toad, my seeds have stopped being afraid to grow. And now you will have a nice garden too, said Frog. Yes, said Toad, but you were right, Frog. It was very hard work. <laughs> it's, a, it's a humorous little tale. It's, it's fun to read with the kids. Um, but kids, one, I have two questions to ask following up on that story. One is, did Toad actually make those plants grow? No, the toad didn't actually make those plants grow. He was actually he was sleeping at the time that it happened, right? Um, but did toad do something that took part in that growth? Yes. What what was it? Was it the playing 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 music? It was definitely planted. Oh, planted. Yes. So toad didn't make the plants grow, but he did do something as a part of that process. He planted the seeds, and I think this is a. Uh, well, actually, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to use a gardening image of planting and watering and growth in order to give us an idea of our role in evangelism and God's role in evangelism. So kids, listen for that word picture in the sermon today as we study this text to help us understand what that role is. So let's take a look then at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. We read there, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. All right, just to set some context here, in verses 1 through 4 of the chapter, Paul has been addressing for several chapters the divisions in the Corinthian church as they followed different human leaders, people who were teaching in the church. And in verses 1 through 4 of the chapter, he has said that they have been foolish and worldly in their thinking by following these individual human leaders. And then in verses 5 through 9, he goes to explain how we should view human leaders, and also why we should view them that way. And in telling us why we should view them that way, he gives us an instruction on our role in ministry, our role in evangelism, and God's in this distinction. So we're going to pay attention to that. Paul, uh, so we're going to um, basically just, again, we're going to ask these two questions. What is our role? What is God's role? And then from that, we're going to draw application as to how we approach evangelism. So first, we're going to talk about our role, and we're going to see that we are servants who plant and water. Paul begins by asking, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? He says, servants, servants through whom you believed. He is saying that those who lead, teach, or minister, they're simply servants of God. Servants have masters. They are under a master and are subject to do his will. And specifically here, Paul and Apollos, their work in forming and building up the Corinthian church didn't make them special in and of themselves. But um, we have to, if we look at this passage, we can rightly apply it and say every Christian is called to be a servant of God. Every Christian 
labors in teaching and in leading and in ministry in one way or another to different members of the body and to the lost. And so we can rightly apply this passage to all of us as servants of God. When it comes to evangelism, we should then ask, okay, if we are servants, what then is the will of our master when it comes to this, the role that we have? What role do we play? And that's where Paul then begins to use this word picture, this agricultural word picture of planting and watering. He says that the role is to... He uh, says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. What is this idea of planting? What is this idea of planting? Well, he says that he planted at the Corinthian church. If we read in Acts chapter 18 and its description there of what Paul did, it said that Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks and that he was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So planting, planting has to do with uh, teaching the word of God, particularly the message of the gospel. Uh, and so planting for us as servants of God, it necessitates that we begin to meet with people, that we start conversations, that we ask questions. This is about us reasoning from the word of God with people to help them see that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, the savior to take away their sin. So if this is our role, we should be continually asking a question of ourselves every day. We should be asking a question, where can I plant seed? Where can I plant seed? And I'm going to ask you this now and kind of get you to start thinking about it. We're going to come back to it later. But ask yourself this question. Who are several specific people in your life that you can begin to regularly pray for and look for opportunities to tell about Jesus Christ? Where can you plant seed? Okay. These should be people that you regularly see, that you actually have an opportunity tomorrow, next week, the week after. You're actually going to see them. You can actually open up and say, hey, you know what? I haven't asked you this before, but I was wondering, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Do you, uh, do you believe in a God? Okay. We should be praying for all sorts of people all over the world, but I'm not talking about, you know, great uncle Bob who, you know, moved off to Canada. Uh, you're never going to see him again. Pray for him, absolutely. But I'm talking about people that you will actually be next to at school, that you're actually going to sit next to in the cubicle in the office, that you're actually going to go talk over the fence in the backyard. Who are those people that you will actually see and have opportunity to share the gospel with? Now, I want to ask the question then, where? Where can we look to plant gospel seed? If we're paying attention, opportunities are all around us. Okay, like at work. Uh, there was a brother uh, who shared this story with me who was at work, got into an elevator with a coworker, and they were riding up the elevator, and uh, the coworker was talking about something and said, you know, my mom says everything happens for a reason, but I don't believe that. Just a, just a comment, just a comment. But, uh, but this brother said, what do you mean by that? Right? He's making a connection here between, well, if you don't believe that, there's got to be some connection with what you think about God. So he says, well, what do you mean by that? This coworker goes on to explain, well, you know, he grew up Catholic, but after examining things, he became agnostic because he just couldn't prove the existence of God. And he finished by saying, uh, I wish that someone would try to convince me of 
uh, whether God is real and if Christianity is true. And he's sitting there in the elevator, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm a Christian, and I would love to take the time to, to talk with you. Maybe we can get together sometime. And that began an opportunity where he came over with his girlfriend to sit down to dinner, to talk about uh, the reality of God, to talk about the gospel, uh, to get together over coffee. This began the beginning of conversations to talk about Christ. Planting. It happens here at work. Um, hobbies. If you have a hobby and you go somewhere to, uh, to do that, whether it's a sport or something else, there's a, there's a field to labor in. These people that are part of this. So I had a, a friend who's talented with uh, spoken word poetry, and he found a local club that he could go to where they would perform their original pieces. And of course, as a, as a believer, he was, uh, he was doing poetry that just reflected a Christian worldview. And people would always, at the end of it, they would talk and say, hey, that was, they'd give feedback, hey, that was great, I like the way you turned that phrase, or that was cool how you're thinking about that. And he would take that as an opportunity to swing into spiritual conversation with them. Planting, right? These are just opportunities all around us. At home, okay? I would imagine that most of you have neighbors. Uh, show of hands, which, how many of you have neighbors? A few of you have neighbors. If you, those of you who didn't raise your hand, if you go home today, you look outside, there are houses next door and there are people walking around. Those are, those are what we commonly call neighbors, okay? Um, look it up, you'll, you'll see. So neighbors, opportunities all the time when you're in the backyard and you're talking to people to bring up a question, to ask them about their spiritual beliefs, to ask them what do they think happens after we die. Planting, there's opportunities. Okay? Sometimes opportunities just come to you. Back in St. Charles, uh, Rachel and I had uh, a knock on the door one time and it opened up and there's two guys standing out there, ties, white shirts, black pants. I think there were bicycles sitting out on the doorstep somewhere. And they said, hey, we're, uh, we're with the Church of Latter-day Saints. We'd like to talk to you today. I'm sitting there with a huge mess in my living room, children crying, and I said, I would love to talk to you too, but now is not a great time. Can I get your phone number and I'll call you back sometime? And I got their phone number and we invited them over for dessert and we had some conversations with them about the gospel. Planting. Opportunities are all around us if we are willing to play our role as servants of God. Okay. So if you're looking, it's there. So we're servants who plant in water but we're also servants who labor together. Look here in uh, verse 8. It says, He who plants and he who waters are one. He who plants and he who waters are one. That is, we do it cooperatively, not competitively. We're in verse eight and 9, it says that there we're fellow workers. There shouldn't be jealousy or rivalry as we work and labor in the gospel. Now, Kids, there's this image that Paul is using, right? He says, I planted, Apollos watered. If, um, if I wanted to plant a garden and I planted seed in the ground, but I didn't water it, do you think that the garden would grow? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I planted the seed, but I don't know, probably not. But hold on. What if I was very diligent and every day I went out and I watered the ground, just did it every day? but I didn't plant any seed. Do you think I'll get a garden? No, certainly not with that one, right? There's no possibility here. I might get some weeds. But these two tasks are not opposed to each other. These are two tasks that work together for the goal of the garden. They come together. Now, 
as Christians, we are to be laboring together. And I'm not really concerned here in our body that there's going to be jealousy or rivalry when it comes to laboring in the gospel. But I am concerned to stir us up to actually labor and to labor together. Taking steps of obedience together. Two simple ways that you can labor together. Okay, two simple ways. One is pray for each other. Okay, pray for each other. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul asks the churches to pray for him and his ministry in the gospel. In at least eight of his 13 letters, he asks the churches to pray for him and for his ministry. If the apostle Paul needs prayer for his ministry, how much more do we? We should pray for one another. Pray that we have opportunity, open doors for the gospel. Pray that we would have courage to speak as we ought. Pray that the Lord will soften the hearts of the lost to receive the gospel. You know, I, um, I shared last time about uh, a neighbor that I was able to share the gospel with and how she was open and the only thing that was pre- really preventing her from hearing the gospel was me. There was no reason why I hadn't shared the gospel with her. At the time that I was, was thinking that and came to that realization, um, the relationship that we had was not super strong and I, it wasn't where I could just go over on the door and knock on it. Like that wasn't kind of how it was working at that time. So I just, I needed an opportunity. So for several weeks I was here and as we were praying in our prayer groups, I was bringing that up and saying, hey, I have this neighbor. I just, I, I know I need to share the gospel with her. I just need the opportunity. One Sunday, shared that with her prayer group. We prayed for that opportunity. That afternoon, she called me and said, hey, can you come over today and help me with something? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And that was the first day that I had an opportunity to share the gospel with her. The uh, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if you have something that you need to pray about, ask the Higgins family because they were the ones praying that day. Clear the, the, their prayers avail much, okay? So talk with them. But, but seriously, pray. Pray with one another. Pray with one another about this. This is how we enter into labor together. And then, of course, we can get into conversations together with the lost. So I've, I've heard some stories about some families taking Hospitality Sunday. They're inviting families from GFC and they're inviting people from their neighborhood who don't know Jesus Christ yet. And now they're entering into labor together. Together they're hearing conversations, they're sharing the word of God, they're laboring together. Now even if it's something where you're not doing it together, but you both know the same lost person, you're praying for them together and you're individually getting into conversations Man, praise the Lord for that kind of labor together too. We talked about before how you know, different aspects of the gospel message and how sometimes we only have the opportunity to talk about part of that with somebody. But if one person goes and talks to them and talks about the character of God, his, his holiness, his goodness, that he's created us and we're accountable to him, and that's all they have the opportunity to, to talk about, planting. And then another person is able to come to that person and say, Let me tell you about Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. Planting. We're laboring together in that field. So pray together, labor together. In the passage that we read earlier from John John 4, Jesus said, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
Though our labor may look different at times, may come in different ways, we're working together for the same goal. One of us may have the joy of reaping, of seeing somebody come to faith in Christ, but we can recognize that that didn't happen in a vacuum, that there were other labors that came before us to speak the word of Christ, and we are able to rejoice together. Okay, so we, we're servants. We're servants who plant in water and who labor together. What can we begin to, to do in applying this? What can we think about? Well, first off, I would like to, to say that uh, if evangelism is rooted in our being servants of God, then it has much more to do with character and obedience than it has to do with personality and gifting. Okay, why is that important? Well, I've heard many people say, you know, I, I just don't have the personality to just walk up to somebody and start getting into a conversation like that person over there does. Or some people have said, uh, evangelism is just not my gifting. That's, you know, I, I can't be expected to really talk to people. That's not my gifting. But, uh, again, it has to do with obedience and character and not with personality and gifting. I've seen that in myself. I've seen it in other people. I had a, a, a good friend. Her name was Esther. And uh, whenever I was leading a student group back on campus, when we go out into the downtown Chicago to talk with people about the gospel, she came for the first time, and she just said, you know, I just really uh, believe the Lord wants me to grow in this way, and I don't really know what that looks like, but I want to be here, and I want to learn, and I want to grow. So I said, hey, that's awesome. Why don't you come out? So she came out with me. We'd usually go in twos. So I went out, and I said, hey, do you, you want to get in conversation with somebody? Do you want to pass out a gospel track? What do you want to do? She said, like, just want to watch just want to watch. She's a very introverted and quiet girl. I said, all right, come on. Um, so came out. She began to see the Lord opening doors of conversation with people. She began to see how people would respond to this and how was, the Lord was at work. And so after a couple weeks, she, you know, she's, okay, she's, I, I think I can pass out a gospel tract. Okay, great. Like, go pass out a gospel tract to that person. And then I would take the conversation to the next step. Uh, and then eventually she would start jumping into the conversation. She'd say, hey, you know, the Bible says this. I'm like, all right, great. Like, this is good. Starting to see some growth. Well, eventually we get to the point where I'm going out on the street and I'm looking around and I'm going, where, where did Esther go? And then I turn around and I look and she's there with these four burly guys down in the subway station. She's, hey, did you get one of these? And she's passing out gospel tracks. And they're sitting there going, no, what is that? And I'm just sitting there going, like, you know, Esther, if this goes ugly, I'm, I'm not really going to be a real big help in this. So just... <laughs> Keep it, you know, keep it easy here. Um, she had gone from being uh, quiet and introverted to being quiet and introverted. But what was happening there was she was going from seeing God's work to walking in obedience as she saw his power at work. So the, her personality hadn't changed at all. What she was doing was she was growing in Christ-like character and she was growing because she had seen the Lord's work. You might feel like you just, there, there's no way that you could get into a conversation with somebody. There's no way that you could start this. But I'm telling you, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you, and he is at work to grow you in Christ-likeness. You will not be the same that you are today in a year. And if you begin to take steps in witnessing and planting seed, I guarantee you the Lord is going to show you his power and his faithfulness and your character will not be the same. You will not always be this way. Also, so evangelism and our character, they go together. Also ongoing conversations. Okay, the image of 
planting and watering this gardening image, it implies that it's going to take time and repeated effort to see the growth. Now, that's, we can't press that image too far. We very clearly in the scripture and, other, and see that sometimes people hear the gospel for the first time and they believe. The Lord does that. But we also see it times where right, the apostle Paul has to go in week after week and reason with people from the scripture. You don't need to go back week after week again and again reasoning with them if they believe the first time. So we see both in the scripture. The ongoing conversations. We want to approach this in such a way that we don't Take this as a one-time shot. All right, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to give them the gospel, and I'll never bring it up again. Like, no, we want to go and talk to them and not be discouraged. Hey, I shared the gospel with them, but they didn't believe yet. That's okay. We're planting. We're watering. Okay, it's, it might take some time. We need to be able to come back to those conversations and continue those. Okay, let me give you a few phrases that I found helpful. Because I've, I've found it difficult sometimes after talking with somebody the first time, how do you come back to that? How do you come back to that? There's a few things that I found that's, that's just helped me think about it. One is, if you've talked to somebody about some part, maybe just some spiritual something, come back and say, um, depending on how long it's been, you say, hey, uh, we talked about this before, but I wanted to know if, have you thought any more about that? So maybe you talked about morality, and how morality has to have its root in the character of God. You just come back to it and say, hey, I know we talked a couple weeks ago about you know, morality and the character of God. Uh, have you thought about that anymore? Just bring up the conversation again. Enter back into that conversation. Um, sometimes you hear a phrase. Somebody will say something like, uh, like this uh, brother at, at work, and he says, oh, hey, uh, my mom said everything happens for a reason, but I don't believe in that. And sometimes I hear something like that, and I'm like, ooh, Great opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that. We're going like, to start some conversation here. And then a phone rings. Somebody else comes in. Somebody has to leave. And interrupted. Like, oh, like, I had that. We're going to do, do this. But, um, but you get interrupted. I've learned, come back to them the next day, a week later, and just say, hey, um, we were talking, and I remember you said this, and I didn't have a chance to ask about it, but I wanted to ask this. So you could say, hey, um, we were talking the other day, and you said uh, that you don't believe things happen for a reason. And I didn't have a chance then, but I wanted to ask you, what did you mean by that? Those are still opportunities, even if you didn't have a chance to take them in the moment. Go back to them, bring up those conversations, and keep, keep going. Okay. And I wanted to share a couple different stories, but um, Carson Slater, if you remember Carson, uh, has been out in the Czech Republic for the summer. He's back now, but uh, was doing the English camp ministry, and uh, had a, a blog post, and I uh, loved it. It was just an opportunity that he had talking with an agnostic camper, and I asked him if I could share it with you guys, because I thought this is a great example of ongoing conversations. So I'm just going to read part of his blog post for you guys, and I want you to be listening. Listen for this. How many conversations did Carson have with this, this camper? Okay, how many conversations did it take to get to this point? All right. He wrote this. One of the students in my room who was staying with me was very agnostic. I learned this after talking with him about books because I had asked him one day during free time what he was reading. I love this conversation because I promised to read one of his favorite books and he promised to read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Throughout the course of the week and at mealtimes, I would see him and continue to invest in the relationship, asking him questions about his life. I eventually learned that he has had a few open heart surgeries, with one being as recent as the past year. 
I asked him if the evening talks or discussion groups resonated with him. So they would do uh, English kind of camp programming during the day, and in the evening they'd kind of have a chapel and then uh, discussion groups about the message. So he says, hey, have any of these evening discussion groups resonated with you? And he did not seem to think so. I propose that perhaps it was a part of God's plan that he was at English camp. He did not seem to think so. <laughs> okay. I can just picture this, right? He, Carson's going like, hey, we're going to push this conversation forward. I want to uh, bring this person to the Lord. And hey, do you, does any of this resonate with you? Nah, I don't think so. Like, like, wow, what a deflator. All right, hold on. I'm going to take that next step. Well, you know, do you think that maybe it, that there's a purpose for you being here, that maybe God purposefully brought you to this camp? Nah, I don't think so. Like, wow, like what a deflator. <laughs> like, so easy to get those kinds of responses and just kind of be like, well, done with that one. But listen, Carson just keeps going. So, then he says, on the night of, uh, they do a final camp activity where they kind of put up this big uh, three-dimensional model of uh, the world on one side, God on the other, and a bridge across, right? Kind of like the typical, uh, you know, Billy Graham illustration of Jesus as the bridge. Uh, and they asked the campers to have this, they have a little figurine, and they asked them to put that figurine somewhere on this big model depicting where they view themselves between the world and God and their, their journey towards believing him, in him, something like that. So anyway, so they do this, this activity. He says, on that night, I got to chat with him for an hour. We talked about how he perceived the activity, and he seemed to be very respectful, even impressed by our belief in God, but he himself did not buy in because he was not sure anyone could know for sure about God. Then I asked him the following question. What do you think you would accept as evidence for God's existence? It turns out the question was something he had never considered before. The conversation lasted another 30 minutes, containing more questions, a retelling of the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, and a promise to follow up on the conversation. We did follow up by continuing this conversation at breakfast on the last day of camp. Please pray that God continues to work on this student's heart this summer. That's awesome. I, I mean, there's a lot more, but five, easily five distinct conversations that Carson took in moving this forward and continuing to ask questions and to plant and to water the seed in this person. I, um, and I did hear from Carson. I talked with him after he got back. He's still in touch with his camper online. This camper did buy Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis and is still planning to read it. So continue to pray for that work that's happening. But ongoing conversations, we need to be thinking this way. Hey, how can I get back into that conversation? Where can I continue to plant and water that seed? So our role, our role then as servants includes planting and watering and includes laboring together. But what about God's role in evangelism? What do we see here in this passage? Well, uh, we see several things here, including things like God assigns the labor to the servants in verse 5. He rewards the labor in verse 8, and that he owns the workers and the field in verse 9. I would love to get more into this. We don't have the time today, but we're going to talk specifically about how the Lord brings the growth. The Lord brings the growth. Look in verse 6 again. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. This is Paul's primary point in this verse. He's saying, yes, I planted and Apollos watered, but I want to contrast that with what God did. God brought the growth. 
Okay, that is the, the primary point here. Yes, there were humans, who, uh, agents, servants of God who labored in this, but God brought the growth. All right, planting and watering, it's important, right, whenever it comes to farming or gardening, but ultimately, they're not sufficient to bring about the crop, right? We can plant and water and still get no crop. Still, the plants don't grow. It's not sufficient. But um, it's still a part of it. And so it is with us. Look, we can talk to people about the gospel. We can pray with them. And we can call them to repent and believe. But we can't take it from seed planted to harvest ready. Okay, we can't take it from somebody hearing the gospel to somebody believing the gospel. That is God's work. That is his role in evangelism. And that's where we begin to see this connection and yet contrast in our role and God's role. We're only servants through whom people believe. You see, we are instruments or agents that God is using to plant and water gospel seed when all the while he is at work doing what only he can to bring about the growth. So let me ask you a question just to kind of uh, help, help solidify it. Can you convict somebody of sin? Can you convict somebody of sin? No, I can't do that. Now, we can talk to them and expound the character of God and his holiness. We can talk to them about the wickedness of sin. We can talk to them about coming judgment that's something that is in our role that we can do, but I can't get into their heart and convict them of that. They might be just as apathetic on the other side whenever I talk to them. But we learn in John 16 that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. God can do that. What about, um, can you reveal to somebody who Jesus Christ is? Can you do that? Yes? I don't know. I, I can't do that. Now, I can explain to somebody. I can show them in the scripture who Jesus is. I can reason with them that he is God in the flesh. I can reason with them that he is the Old Testament Messiah promised and now come. I can reason with them that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I can't get into them to make them understand and believe that. But we read in Matthew 16 after Simon says, Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, Jesus, and Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God can reveal that to people. You and I can plant water, but we can't bring the growth. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, he says, so neither he who plants... Uh, Oh, we're back up here. It says, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, our labor is real and it is meaningful, or else the Lord wouldn't reward it. And we'll see that in verse 8 in a moment. So it is real and it is meaningful. But when we stop to look at where the power to bring about the growth is, right, the real work of bringing to somebody to salvation, it is not in humans, it's in God. So whether it's power to bring about uh, faith in somebody or power to bring them to maturity in Christ, that is in God's hand to bring the growth. All right. So there's our role and there's God's role. 
What are some other things that we can continue to learn about this to apply in evangelism? Well, first, I think very big is we need to be faithful in our role and not confuse the two of them. Okay, it sounds like that would be hard to do, but it's really not that hard in practice. Take a look at verse 8. It says this, each will receive, uh, it says, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. According to his labor. That's interesting. I think today in our production-driven mindset, uh, we would say, well, they'll receive wages according to their production, according to their results, according to the, what they brought in. But, uh, I mean, this is putting it kind of silly, but we're, we're more hourly wager, uh, like we get an hourly wage, we don't get commission. Okay, we are, are we laboring faithfully? That's what God rewards. I like what McGarvey and Pendleton say about this. They just say it very succinctly. They say, since God gives the increase, the reward will be proportioned to fidelity rather than to results. The reward will be proportioned to whether we are faithful to what God commands. Our reward is based on whether we obeyed our master. Okay? In order to be found faithful servants, we must be diligent to do our master's will. Not to be, we're not to be self-willed, doing what we think is best, but to make it our business to know the will of our master. Okay. I've heard many times people ask this question. They've asked, is that effective? Is that effective? So... We go out on the streets, we're witnessing to people, we come back and one of the people that were out was like, hey, we just were out on the streets witnessing to people, it was awesome. And then somebody stands there and goes, huh, is that really effective? How many people have you seen saved that way? Okay, or maybe um, uh, in explaining to people the need, the biblical pattern for us to talk about sin and address sin in our witness, and somebody will say, well, is that really effective? It seems like it goes a lot better when we, you know, like the, the message is received a lot better when we talk about God's love and, you know, not hang out so much on sin and judgment. Is it effective? Well, this question changes our goal. Instead of our goal as a servant being to please our master by doing his will, it makes the goal to produce. It makes it to bring about results. But if you and I can't save, what are we producing? What are we producing? So we see churches or evangelistic crusades usually with a good intent, with a good heart, um, but they begin to alter the message and they proclaim a partial gospel and then they ask people to come to the front or pray a prayer or raise their hand and then they tally up the number of decisions for Christ, right? And it's, unfortunately, it's far less about whether the message is biblical, whether people are being soundly saved. It's about... How many people did we bring in and what's our big numbers that we can kind of call out? And that's sad. It's sad. Instead of asking, is that effective? The question as Christ followers that we need to be asking is, is that faithful? Is what I'm doing faithful to the word of God, to the will that he's shown us? We must be willing to both do the work that God has assigned, but also to do it in the way that he has called us to do it, even if we don't see fruit. All right, we've read uh, Ezekiel 2 earlier this morning. And what's repeated in that passage over and over again is that Ezekiel must proclaim, proclaim God's message regardless 
of how Israel responds. He had, his task wasn't to pack in as many people into the house as he could or to grow attendance year over year. He had one task, proclaim the message God gave him regardless of how people would respond. Look at, I just want to highlight a few of these, these parts here. Uh, it's chapter two, it goes on into chapter three. Verses four and five, the Lord says, the descendants of Israel also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been, been among them. Verse seven and eight, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Isn't that this amazing phrase, right? Like, they're my people. They're rebelling. They're going astray. You're my prophet. Don't do the same thing. Hear what I'm telling you and do it. In chapter 3, he goes on. Uh, in verse 7 through 9, he says, But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. How'd you like that to the start of your ministry? The Lord's like, hey, I'm going to go send you to this country over there. By the way, nobody's going to pay any attention to what you have to say. Like, that's a, like, sign me up for that. Like, I've got, it. he says, they will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their look, for they are a rebellious house. Just as Israel was committed to obstinance, Ezekiel had to be committed to obedience. And that's the same heart that we have to have today. We have to set ourselves to obeying God, to proclaiming his message with his means, whether they refuse or hear or refuse to hear, whatever the results may be. All right, so I think our, our role in evangelism is clear. We're to plant, we're to water, we're to labor together. God's role is clear. He brings the growth. So let me ask just a final few closing thoughts for you. Over these next few songs, I want to encourage you again, bring this back up. Who are two or three people that you'll be seeing in these next few weeks that you're going to be regularly seeing that you can start praying for now? I want you to be thinking of that. Two or three people to have in mind. When we come to our prayer time, share those people with each other. Say, hey, pray with me for these people. Okay, pray with me for opportunities for the gospel. Okay. And then make that something recurring during our prayer time. Not just today. Come back next week. Come back the week after that. Bring them back up in prayer times. Go to people and say, hey, how did that go? Were you able to have that conversation? Encourage one another to be faithful in this. And then, of course, go out this week. Take a first step with one of those people. Ask a question. Begin a conversation. Begin to plant in the water seed of the gospel. And let's encourage and support one another as a body of Christ to be faithful as witnesses. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it equips us for every good work. We do just confess that too often we are, we are fearful in our witness. 
And I pray that you would humble us as we look to your word and as we look to um, the task laid out before us in the world, that there's a harvest that is white and ready to be brought in. Help us to encourage one another to be faithful in that, that task. Help us to labor together, that we pray for one another and that we would go out together. I pray for these brothers and sisters and I ask that you'd open up doors for the gospel this week, that we would be servants of God, planting and watering, and that we'd be able to come together week after week, hearing stories, encouraging one another to be faithful and to grow. We want this, Lord, not for our name, not for our reputation, Lord, but for the name of Jesus Christ, that many would come to faith, many would walk in greater Christ-likeness, that the Lamb who suffered would receive the reward to do his suffering. And we pray and ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.